right now it's interesting. It's a tale of two worlds because operating performance is generally very strong, but the capital market's very challenged. So when hoteliers say, I want to go out and sell or I want to go out and finance, my asset's doing incredibly well, you look at the capital markets and you're, you're sort of caught up in the macro situation with higher rates and concerns about inflation. So it's a little bit of bifurcation there. But um, again, it should be a very interesting next six to 12 months as we move into sort of a higher rate environment. Hello and welcome to another episode of TrekCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council. From deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thank you for joining us. Today we're looking at how hospitality has recovered from the pandemic and what the future holds for this very important sector of the commercial real estate industry. You'll hear a replay of our most recent Market Matters panel, which was moderated by Christine Perez of DCEO and featured John Bure of Eastill Secured, Kevin Davis of JLL Hotels and Hospitality Americas, and Dupree Scoville of Woodbine Development Corporation. Special thanks to Grant Thornton and DCEO for their sponsorship and support of Market Matters. As always, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and follow us on social media. You can also watch this event over on our YouTube channel, so go check that out as well. And don't forget, Monday, October 24th, marks the start of early voting in the 2022 elections. We've published a list of the candidates we're endorsing this year over on our blog, and we strongly encourage you vote yes on Prop A. That's the plan to revitalize Fair Park and the K. Bailey Hutchinson Convention Center. The plan calls for the creation of a tourist tax to fund $1.5 billion in improvements and renovations. So while Dallas residents would reap the benefits of a revitalized fair park, we won't see an increase in property or sales taxes to get it done. You can learn more about the plan at DallasCCMasterPlan.com and VoteYesForPropA.com. We'll link to both of those sites for you in the show notes. Now, here's a replay of our hospitality summit right here on TrackCast. You know, it's a beautiful day in Dallas, Texas. Even with all the uncertainty in the world and the economy, I don't know about you, but there's no place I'd rather be for what we do uh, than Dallas, Texas. I feel very fortunate. I also feel fortunate, yeah, hey, we'll give that a hooray. Um, I also feel fortunate that we have sponsors like Grant Thornton and DCEO, uh, that make today's program possible, so thank you. We'll go through the mission statement again. Trek's mission is to cultivate relationships in the commercial real estate industry to catalyze community investment, influence public policy, propel careers, and develop the leaders of tomorrow. That's a tall order, but Trek's up for it. We believe relationships are the lifeblood of career success, community investment, and civic responsibility. Before I introduce our moderator and speakers, uh, we have a couple of announcements. Today's a very special day for our region. It's North Texas Giving Day. I know that's not the first time you've heard about that. North Texas Giving Day is one of the largest philanthropic events in North Texas. I encourage each of you to donate to Trek community investors and support our neighborhood revitalization, the affordable housing loan program, and other economic development projects in our area. You'll find a QR code on your tables linking you to the North Texas Giving Day page, and it's supposed to be on the video screens also, maybe. Um, it's on your tables. Um, in making our donations, we join other Trek members and Trek member companies like NextBank and Bank of America, as well as the Addy Foundation, who all recently and very generously provided grants. These grants further Trek community investors' mission of partnering with underserved communities and local organizations to create lasting economic impact to energize our Dallas neighborhoods and to change lives. Please consider donating today. I hope you all are as excited as I am for Fight Night 33. I don't know how many of those I've been to a lot. 
Uh, the theme this year is Breaking Ground. Our annual black tie boxing extravaganza is sold out, and rumor is we have a few ALC class members here. Raise your hands. Do we have any? Great. Oh, you're going to get it. Hey, you know, you show up. That's half the battle, right? So step over and buy a raffle ticket um, from this gentleman and win some great prizes. You can also find on the website uh, a list of frequently answer, asked questions, the answers to those, and other resources uh, about fight night. Before we know it, it's going to be election day. And in addition to all the important political races going on, the citizens of Dallas will have the opportunity to vote for the ballot initiative to devote a portion of the hotel occupancy tax to the revitalization of K. Bailey Hutchison Convention Center and Fair Park. I bet Dupree will probably slip a word in or two about that uh, during the speech. If you get a chance, stop by. If you did not get a chance to stop by the booth at check-in, I encourage you to take a flyer and learn more about the proposal. Remember, it's the vote that cost us as residents nothing, but can bring meaningful change in our ability to sponsor and host conventions and to restoring our treasure of Fair Park. Finally, note that our next Bank of Texas Speaker Series will take place on Wednesday, November the 9th. It will be our annual Capital Markets Update with Mark Gibson of JLL, so you won't want to miss it. If you've attended before, uh, you know what a quality program that is and will attend again, I'm sure. Tickets will be available in the next few weeks. Now let's get on with the show. I'd like to welcome one of my very favorite people, and I'm sure many of your, our moderator, Christine Perez with DCEO. Thank you, Kim. Well, if you, if you guys know Kim at all, this is her favorite time of year because she is the region's most passionate college football fan. She has a room with multiple TVs and everybody knows not to bother her on game day Saturday. So uh, it's always fun to talk about various teams with her. Go blue. Um, all right, well, thank you all for joining us this morning as we discuss one of the most fascinating sectors uh, in commercial real estate. The team at Track, as usual, has pulled together an exceptional panel, and I know we're all looking forward to hearing what they have to say. So we'll be saving a few minutes at the end for questions and answers, just in case we don't get to something that's on your mind. Um, this morning's Hospitality Summit is the latest in Track's Market Matters series, and we are so fortunate to have an organization like the Real Estate Council here in Dallas. Its impact uh, on the city under the leadership of Linda McMahon has been profound and there is so much more to come. So at D Magazine Partners and DCEO, our mission is to make Dallas even better and that's what the Real Estate Council does every day. So we're very proud of our partnership with the organization. All right, enough about that. Let's get to the panel. I'd like to welcome to the stage our three panelists this morning, if you guys could come on up. Uh, John Bure, he's Managing Director, uh, Global Real Estate Investment Banking Firm, East Hill Secured. Kevin Davis, uh, he's the CEO of JLL Hotels and Hospitality, and fortunately for us, he just happens to be in town. He's New, New York is his home base. Um, and Dupree Scoville, who's Managing Partner and Chief Investment Officer for Woodbine Development Corp. So I guess I'm gonna move over to the chairs. <laughs> All right, well, um, welcome, uh, welcome guys. Thank you so much. Um, well, so let's get started by kind of setting the stage. If you could each just briefly uh, tell us about yourselves and your organizations and your roles, and then uh, everyone will know a little bit more about the perspectives uh, that you're gonna be sharing today. So Dupree, let's just start, start with you. Sure, good morning, my name is Dupree Scoville. I work with a company called Woodbine. We've been around for about 50 years. It started as a partnership with the Hunt family. Um, we have investments in industrial and, and multifamily and office, but our primary space is hospitality. Hopefully you guys have been to Lost Pines or Hyatt Hill Country or La Quintero or some of those. Uh, we're a team of talented individuals who like to compete and win. Um, and we are in, uh, I guess we've been in about 20 states and we are across the board from Hyatt to Hilton to Marriott, from select service all the way up to um, luxury resort. Uh, for us, our, our world is just, it's about partnerships. It's about um, 
working with other developers, working with investors, working with lenders, we kind of talk about dealing in the currency of trust. That's kind of our that's kind of our world. That's what we that's kind of where we camp out. So uh, hopefully we'll put another fifty on the board. But now that my brother and I are involved with the company, it probably won't be long before we mess it up. But <laughs> see what happens. Uh, so you like to compete and win. That's so unusual in Dallas real estate. Yes, yeah, that's just unusual. <laughs> All right, Kevin. Great. Uh, good morning, uh, Kevin Davis. I am. Uh, I live in New York, but I'm from New Orleans, so I want to be very clear yes. about that. <laughs> Street <laughs> and, have, and have lots of relatives in Texas, so it's uh, it's great to be here in Dallas. Uh, Dallas this morning. To that point, Mark Gibson uh, has been trying to get me to move to Dallas for some time. So doing events like this is certainly goes a long way toward that cause. But uh, no, Water's it's great warm. to. What's that? The water's warm. It's uh, nice hey, here. let me let me tell you, these winters are wearing on me after uh, after some time. But uh, again, great to be here. I uh, lead the America's Hotels business uh, at JLL. I've uh, been at the firm now for about 10 years. Uh, my prior life worked on the lending side uh, in capital markets, uh, spent some time on Capitol Hill working as a lawyer, I've done a bunch of different things in addition of, to, uh, addition to hospitality. But uh, again, we are a leading commercial real estate brokerage firm. Uh, we've got a global practice uh, more broadly in capital markets, but also in hospitality. So the way we like to think of ourselves is if you are interested in owning a hotel and or own a hotel, we can help you throughout every aspect of the life cycle of your ownership. From the time you say, I want to look at a deal, we can help you on the buy side advisory. We can sell you a hotel. We can finance your hotel. We can provide uh, strategic advice and asset management during the time of your ownership. Uh, and then, of course, we can also help you dispose of the, of, of the asset uh, so again, helping you throughout the life cycle of hospitality uh, ownership. Uh, again, my background historically has been on the financing side uh, for 20 years. Uh, more recently, took over leadership of the broader group, which includes our financing business, our investment sales business, and our asset management business. So happy to be here in Dallas uh, this morning and look forward to having a robust discussion with my colleagues. And interestingly, we were each just at uh, a major lodging conference uh, over the past couple of days, so I think we'll have some insights after meeting with you know, 30, 40, 50 folks uh, over the last two days. So yeah, that's fantastic timing. Yeah. What about you, John? Um, thank you. Uh, John Bure, I'm here local in Dallas. Uh, just joined East Hill a little less than six months ago after a long run actually at HFF slash JLL um, and helped start the hotel practice here uh, with that firm. And, have now been tasked with um, um, helping East Hill grow their Sunbelt um, hospitality practice. So really kind of Phoenix to the Carolinas and everywhere south. Um, and we do a lot of the same thing. So we help on the financing side, we help on the disposition side, we raise equity for recapitalizations, joint venture uh, equity and whatnot. So um, we've been very active in a lot of different projects. And so we kind of, I think we all have a good sense for what's working and what's not. And we'd love to tell you what we're seeing in the market today. Awesome. Well, let's get started with that. Um, okay, we'll start with a question on everyone's mind in general. Uh, how is the hospitality industry faring as we all emerge from the pandemic? Want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. Uh, it has sucked. Um, that's a technical term. It has been, it, the past two years has not been great, but we're, we are seeing light at the end of the tunnel, I think just in time for a recession. So I'm not sure what what'll happen, but we are seeing some improvement on the transient side, business travel. We are seeing a lot of group business start to come back. Um, but I do think we're gonna see some softening here in the, in the next year or so, which when we had this prep call, we probably weren't as confident about what was coming. Now I think we see, have a little more visibility into that. So, um, but I think, look, the, the it, it has been interesting because you know, anytime you have a crisis, right, it forces you to think differently. And our team has certainly done that, where, where we have kind of gotten into the hotels and really even in some ways helped our operators think about how to operate these hotels in a different way. And a lot of those lessons that were learned and cost-cutting measures will be permanent, uh, some of which travelers aren't going to necessarily want or appreciate. But, um, and, but as you guys have seen, the, 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 what you're paying for hotel rooms is going way up. Uh, and sometimes the value, actually what you're getting in the product, is not necessarily commensurate with that. And so that is, uh, that's at least a trend that we've seen historically happen in hotels where pricing for hotels has outpaced inflation. And so that, uh, for us, that does, 
that, that is actually a positive of our industry. We can hedge literally by the hour when in other forms of real estate, industrial or office or, or other things, you, you don't have that ability. You're locked into a lease. So there, there are some benefits to that. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, it's interesting. When I'm asked this question, I always ask, well, do you want me to look back or do you want me to look forward? Because depending on the direction I'm, I'm facing will dictate the answer. I mean, look, from a backward-looking perspective, Dupree is right. I mean, the operating fundamentals uh, over the past couple years, going back to the start of COVID, have been challenged. Uh, 2021 and 2022 have been good recovery years, such that from a RevPAR basis, we are actually back up to beyond where we were in 2019, which is the benchmark that most hoteliers use to uh, determine how operating performance is. So we're, we're up about 5% on a RevPAR basis uh, compared to 2019. Um, from a transaction volume perspective, which has been interesting, I mean, last year, 2021, was the second largest transaction volume year in hospitality. Wow. Um, 2015 was the largest. I think 2015 was about 48 billion. Last year was about 40 billion. This is domestic in the US. I think generally 25 million or larger. Um, this year through the end of July, uh, we're at about 23 billion, um, which for that time period is the highest it's ever been. Um, it's, that's up about 86% compared to 2019, just in terms of transaction volume. So a lot of trades happening, a couple large portfolio deals uh, that have gotten done. There's another large portfolio deal that's been announced and approved that'll close in October. Um, and actually, interestingly, there have been a record number of single asset or just individual trades. So there have been about 715 individual trades uh, through, uh, through the end of July. So busy year, uh, again, in the rearview mirror, looking forward for a lot of the reasons Dupree mentioned, in addition to what's going on with, with the Fed and interest rates, transaction volume has started to slow over the past couple months. We're still seeing strong operating performance, but the expectation is that as we potentially move toward a recession, uh, we'll see declining, uh, declining operating performance. But right now it's interesting. It's a tale of two worlds because operating performance is generally very strong, but the capital market's very challenged. So when hoteliers say, I want to go out and sell or I want to go out and finance, my asset's doing incredibly well, you look at the capital markets and you're, you're sort of caught up in the macro situation with higher rates and concerns about inflation. So it's a little bit of bifurcation there. But um, again, it should be a very interesting next six to 12 months as we move into sort of a higher rate environment. Yeah, the only thing I'd add is, you know, Dupree, I understand it sucked in 2020, but to Kevin's point, 21 and 22 were actually pretty darn good years for the hotel business. Um, and, and I'm actually much more optimistic. I mean, I, I can't see a scenario where we go back into what the hotel industry went through in 2020 with global travel completely stopping. And the fundamentals are pretty phenomenal, especially in some of your leisure assets and, and even picking up in urban cores with, you know, like New York, right? We were there yeah. a couple of weeks ago. New York is back. It's after Labor Day, corporate's back, people are back in the office, group is back. Uh, the social events, Fashion Week was going on last week. It was, you know, uh, unbelievable. So um, um, I think that the, the, uh, the other great thing about the hospitality business is we've got more liquidity and more people trying to get into hospitality today than we've ever had. So from a liquidity standpoint, uh, equity, lenders, um, we, we actually, I think we have some runway if, if we don't, you know, go into a deep, you know, into a deep recession. But right now we do have a pricing problem with as far as debt is just really expensive. Yeah. Mispriced. Mispriced. Yeah, mispriced. I agree. Expensive <laughs> and mispriced. Um, let's follow up on your comments about uh, transaction volume. Um, so what's driving it? Like, how would you describe uh, the buyers and the sellers? What types of properties are getting the most attention? And, uh, and how would you describe who, who's, who's looking to sell, who's looking to buy? Yeah, that's a great question. Look, I, I think here, heretofore there's been a strong bias towards drive-to leisure resort assets. Um, those were the first assets to recover post-COVID. Uh, you had, you know, coming out of the pandemic, there's revenge travel. People want to get out. They want to social distance. So beach destinations, resort destinations, places where people could social distance um, were the first to recover. Uh, and on the strength of that strong recovery, we've seen investors gravitate to that product. 
uh, because it feels like there's some downside protection. Uh, I'd say over the past nine to 12 months, we've started to see a recovery of urban assets. So if you look at the top 25 hotel markets, generally the big cities, um, they have fared, they fared incredibly poorly during, uh, during COVID. I mean, most are in blue cities, a lot of union, um, international travel is a big driver for a lot of those places, and that fell off. So those assets really struggled. So I'd say over the last nine to 12 months, we've seen a recovery in urban, more investors starting to look at markets like New York and uh, Chicago, Boston, San Francisco is a real laggard, but, um, but some of the big cities people are starting to look at. So I think the other part of your question was the reason why, look, um, I don't think, we've never had a recession within hospitality of the magnitude that we just experienced. And so I think investors have been attracted to the space uh, because of the recovery that we're experiencing, but also to the point that Dupree made earlier, which is it's a phenomenal inflation hedge. Um, so even while you know, multifamily industrial, which was priced to perfection, as soon as rates started to move, you started to see pricing be affected to the negative in those asset classes, not necessarily in hospitality. I mean, over the course of a closing period, you may have a buyer uh, go exclusive on a deal 60, 90 days later, NOI may be up 5 or 10%. Yeah. And so that'll offset the, the rising cost of debt. So I think the inflation hedge reason is, is another reason why people have been attracted to this. The other, the other thing on that point is hotels have always priced at an at a, um, unusually wide margin above um, the other indices and the, and the risk-free rate. So we've got a little more cushion for some of this um, spread um, gapping out. Uh, but, you know, again, it's, in our, our view, it's have and have nots. There are markets that are very liquid and assets that are very liquid, and, and then there's markets that are really, really tough. I mean, Chicago right now is um, next to impossible, even if you've got a really strong performing asset, of which there's only a couple. Um, there's, it's tough to get, for a variety of reasons, it's tough to get institutional capital to, to go there. Too many people have, have, have lost too much money there. Um, but, but Kevin's point is on, you know, like leisure is still everybody on everybody's radar. Uh, the only thing better than drive to leisure is private jet to leisure because that is absolutely recession proof. Um, and so when you're working on assets like Montage Laguna Beach and Four Seasons, Jackson, those th those, they're at all time record profitability and they're not slowing down. Let's take a quick break so I can tell you about our next Bank of Texas speaker series event. And it's one of our most popular discussions of the year. Join us Wednesday, November 9th at the Hilton Anatole as Mark Gibson of JLL Capital Markets Americas gives his annual capital markets update. Trust me, you're not going to want to miss these insights. Tickets are available now at recouncil.com backslash upcoming dash events. So make plans to be with us on Wednesday, November 9th. Special thanks to sponsors Bank of Texas, Stuart Title, and the Dallas Morning News for their support of Speaker Series. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, uh, Dupree, I'm going to talk with you about another topic that's on everyone's mind, and that is rising interest rates. How uh, is that impacting the industry, and what do you see going forward? Well, it's, it's a challenge for sure, I think, especially on the buy side. But, but what our industry is dealing with that I think is unique is you have, uh, when we just went through COVID, you have a ton of liquidity that came in the market. You have a ton of people that have now raised funds anticipating distress during the pandemic that didn't really happen. So then when interest rates, rates go up, the expectation now after what we just went through is that you're gonna start to see banks wanna take assets back. But the reality is that no bank wants to own a hotel for one, but even if they do, there's a floor that's been created just by the amount of liquidity that's coming into our market. So because there's so much equity that's been raised, it will create a floor that, or that really will set pricing above where a distressed mark will come. So I, I think it's one of those things where the deals that are going to get done right now, in my view, are, are going to be REITs because they don't need debt. Um, and then the groups that, the sponsorship groups that are, are just exceptional, um, I think they're the ones that are going to be able to get debt in this type of market. But one way or the other, there's, something's got to give. Price, pricing, if, if you're underwriting an asset, CapEx price, you're, you're pricing your renovation, that's going to be up by probably 20%. You're going to have to underwrite some type of softening that's happening over the course of the next year or two. The only thing that gives is returns. And so the reality is, like, with, with the amount of equity that's coming into the space, it has to be something where that equity is willing to say, we'll, take, we'll just take a lower return. I, I don't see any other way to get there. In fact, 
unless we're doing it wrong, that's the way we're looking at it. I mean, that, that's the way the math works. And I, I, I think Dupree is right. Look, um, I'll go on a limb as, as, as an intermediary and say this. I, I do feel like um, we, we are seeing a secular shift in rates and where rates will be. I've told our junior people that maybe weren't around before the GFC and quantitative easing. The past 12 years of quantitative easing is the exception, not the rule. We're just going back to the way things were before where you know, you had treasuries 4%, 5%, and even then, I mean, if you compare that to the 80s and 90s, that's still low. So, you know, a Fed funds rate at 45 or 5%, while shocking to people that, you know, haven't been in the industry for a long time, that's where things were. I remember back in 04, 05, I mean, we were doing hotel loans at 55 6, 6.5%, and owners were making money, lenders were making money, so you can exist in that environment, but credit spreads were different. Right, so that's the one thing that has to change. So, to Dupree's point, we're, we're seeing a secular shift in the pricing of debt. Um, we haven't yet seen that shift in the pricing of assets. Mm -hmm. And so, at some point, something has to give. I mean, and, and to John's point, I mean, you know, they're, they're in the market with an amazing portfolio right now. And I know, I mean, it's it's full pricing, right? Full but pricing. It, it's forever assets, and people are saying, I just want to own this. It's recession proof, and so. There's, there's a bit of a disconnect here, but um, it, so in my opinion, the next six, 12, 18 months are gonna be incredibly fascinating to see how this dynamic plays out. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, I mean, some, the, the price, we haven't had, a, we've seen some repricing, it's usually five to 15%, and, yeah. and okay, and so other asset classes, I think have seen upwards of 20% repricing in, in assets because of this interest rate movement. When we look out six months, the sp I think the spreads have to come back in. These lenders have to start putting out money again. Their balance sheets are generally in good shape. So while the index is up, I think the spreads will, I, I hope, I'm not trying to predict um, which way interest rates are going, but I hope the spreads start to come in. And at Kevin's point, there's a long run of history where we've, like people in the hotel business have had made money with expensive, like debt much more expensive than other asset classes. And people just got punch drunk on, you know, free money for the last, basically for the last decade. So, you know, again, to, to on, on, on this portfolio we're selling right now, we've got REITs and family offices that have said, we're just going to take it down all cash. Mm -hmm. and, and these are several hundred million dollar assets, or they'll get a signature loan from their private wealth management yeah. group. And so they're able to manufacture, you know, a high single digit return on it. Mm -hmm. And that's okay for them because they just want to own it forever. Yeah. I'm joke. <laughs> um, okay. Um, so let's single out Dallas-Fort Worth uh, for a little bit and Texas in contrast to the rest of the country. How, does, how, do the, how do we fare? How do we stack up against other major markets? Yeah, I mean, That's that, be a good question for you, Kevin, but let's start with you for you. Sure, I mean, there's a big difference here than the rest of the country for sure. There's a macro story that, uh, that I think lenders, that equity partners, uh, that even brands that, that people really see. I mean, Dallas-Fort Worth is really the leader of that for sure, but when you have the type of corporate growth that we have, when you have the type of educated workforce, when you have the type of population movement that's coming here, the ability to, to get things done politically, uh, th that's a game changer in terms of how institutional groups look to invest. And so you're seeing markets even where you would have thought, now San Antonio's always been a, um, it's been a great market. I think locally we see it as, as a bigger market. Nationally, it's kind of always been seen as more of a second tier market. That's not the case anymore. I mean, mm -hmm. a, a place like San Antonio is garnering more more attention than some of the traditional markets you might have seen across the country. So from our perspective, it's really been a focused, intentional effort to say, we, we've got all we can eat right here in the state of Texas. And so I've been on a Southwest flight more in the past 12 months than I have been in the last 10 years, just because everywhere we're going is within an hour reach of Dallas. So mm -hmm. that's been a focus for us, I'm sure, on the transaction side. I'm guessing, at least that's been the case for us, like, there's actually been a resilience in pricing here different than we've seen in other parts of the country. Yeah, we've, we've, for 10 years we've been saying, follow the jobs, follow the people. Like, there's a reason to be here. Um, most of the hotel reach um, had kind of redlined Dallas, uh, actually, until recently. They're now looking um, and, and trying to find the one or two assets that, that will get them back into this market. Austin is on every major investor's radar. They all, they all want a dot on the map. And to Dupree's point, San Antonio has definitely um, 
benefited from the growth in Austin and, and is looked at as like kind of the next tier kind of growth market in Texas. Uh, unfortunately, Houston's still like a little bit of a, uh, of, a, of a challenge, except for like specific pockets. The Woodlands is actually performing phenomenally right now in Springwoods and other places um, where um, some of these micro markets in Houston are actually much better, but the overall market is just painted with this brush that, you know, institutions are not wanting to kind of jump back into that market yet, but Texas is a great place to be right now, especially in the hotel space. Yeah, and I'll, I'll give the outsider's perspective, and I'll use a term of art, on fire. I mean, mm -hmm. Dallas, Texas, it's, it's unbelievable. And I, I say this as someone who's, I've been living in New York now for, for 20 years, and I, I, I think, you know, COVID has really exposed uh, a number of the challenges that, that some of these blue cities, blue states have with, with unions and um, um, regulatory issues, taxes. Um, you know, it's really fascinating. I mean, we've seen, obviously, the Dallas and Austin and Miami and Nashville, these what we call the darling markets, have performed extraordinarily well. You've had strong job growth, strong population growth. I think that's gonna continue. Uh, as, I, as I look at a market like Dallas, for example, which obviously has been a big city for a long time, but I think as the number of finance jobs and um, um, technology jobs increase, you start to have a network effect where the more you have, kind of the bigger the benefit and the more people want to come. And I think what happened post-COVID is the, the, the Zoom effect and the fact that people can, a lot of people can generally work from anywhere um, makes it a lot easier for people to be here. One sort of change in, pers in perception and perspective, which I think is critical, I think there used to be this perspective that if you're in financial services, you need to be in New York. I want my banker in New York. Now people know, as long as your banker has relationships in New York and you know contacts and can get stuff done, there's not this expectation that you have somebody sitting in an office at 42nd and Madison doing the work for you. Uh, and so I think people, clients' perceptions about where they need uh, their you know, service providers, professional services providers to sit is very different. And so I think markets like Dallas and, and Miami uh, and Nashville, Austin will benefit tremendously from that. So there's a real mind shift that uh, uh, change in sentiment I think has taken place. And I think Dallas has, I mean, bright, bright skies ahead. We are turning into a formidable financial services market too. Absolutely, financial services companies expanding and and it moving. It's here. it just continues, right? And the more you have, the more the more that gets built up, and then also you add in um, the the cultural components, the art scene, the food scene. Um, all of a sudden, and then cost of living. And I know it's run up, but you know the cost of housing significantly cheaper here than a lot of other markets, and so. I, you know, I, I, like I said, I've been in New York for 20 years, and I remember I was um, a VP working at an investment bank, getting paid, you know, pretty good money, but like, I could afford a house in Brooklyn as a, as a VP, kind of lower level, mid-level guy. Now you have to be like a senior managing director, and even then, and so there are a lot of people, highly educated professionals that, you know, used to live in a place like New York or San Francisco and LA, they just can't afford it. Yeah. Um, but they want good jobs, good community, they want a good food scene, they want culture, and Dallas offers that. And so I think, like I said, I'm really bullish on Dallas longer term. I, I think, you know, I think it's amazing. So. I want to go, oh, yeah. sorry, I want to go back to one thing Dupree said, which is um, on, the, on the price point of hotels in, in Texas and in Dallas. We, we're, we're, can, we're finally getting some pricing power in the hotel space like we've never seen before. And so you know, in, in hotels, the general metric is RevPAR, which is revenue per available room, and our RevPAR is at an all-time high. That also translates into, in, typically into higher profitability, and that's translating into higher price per keys. Like Dallas used to have a 200,000 a key uh, barrier on a price per key basis, like nobody would ever pay more than that. And now we're making trades at 850, 900,000 a key, at like way above replacement cost. And even your kind of, entry level, like really, you know, well-built, um, you know, um, full service hotel is probably four or 500,000 a key today. And, the, and we could make the argument that's actually below replacement cost. Mm -hmm. uh, but the pricing point has like doubled on, on getting into, you know, markets like Austin and Dallas and San Antonio. 
All right, well, let's uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about development. Uh, maybe talk about supply and demand, uh, talk about development activity, uh, what the challenges are, how the land situation is, and you are the man to answer that question, Dupree. Yeah, well, we can talk to Lynn about, about <laughs> land uh, for sure, but um, I mean, it, it's, it's the same effect that you see across the board is happening here in Dallas, but in particular, when you look at North Texas, what's going on near Frisco, what's going on up there, I mean, the land prices have not doubled, but, but tripled. And in other forms of real estate, uh, you can, because of rent growth, you can control that. In hotels, that's a little bit harder, because I think you've, you have seen a lag in Rev Park growth, where it, ha it is just now starting to really ramp. And, and so those rates, when you're trying to develop a hotel, and prices are going up 20%, and interest rates have now gone from 3% to 65 that becomes a real challenge to make development work. Again, I think it's a pretty simple equation. Either you're willing to accept a lower return in development, which I think in, in most cases what's happening for developers, who that's where you make your money um, and where you, where, you know, kind of how you keep the lights on. At the end of the day, you just kind of have to say, well, in terms of risk adjusted for us is a little bit different than what that risk adjusted return might be for someone else. And so for a group like Woodbine, we say well, we're going to keep developing. And so uh, we have three projects that will start um, in the, over the course of the next 12 months in the development space. One that we started um, two weeks ago in, in, uh, or maybe a month ago in, in San Antonio at Hyde Hill Country. We're doing a $90 million renovation there on that asset. And it was kind of like you're looking at all the, all the metrics from a macro perspective and you're saying, okay, what's going to happen over the course of the next two years? If there were ever a time I'd want to be under construction, it would be right now. And so we look at it and say, well, we built the balance sheet to be able to develop whether we are in a great market or whether we are in a bad market. And so from that perspective, we kind of have to stay true to our North Star and say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to keep going. So for us, it's one foot in front of the other, a little bit with blinders on, but we're just going to keep marching ahead. And I think that gives us a competitive advantage when the large majority of developers are saying, I, we can't get it done. There's not equity that's going to accept those lower returns. Debt guys are pulling back going from 65 to 55%. And ideally, that puts us in a position on the other end of this, whenever that is, uh, where we've got new product. And I think that historically has, has been a winning strategy for us, where supply is going to be muted, and you know, you're kind of the last man standing, or at least that's the idea. Yes. What types of projects are you working on? And, and overall, uh, I, I would say, for development, what's attracting the most interest right now? And how does, how does supply and demand for space kind of line up? Well, select service has been the darling of the industry for a long time. I mean, there's kind of a joke in our industry. There's a reason like the select service owners and hotel developers have airplanes and the full service guys don't. <laughs> We've always been full service guys. So uh, that's why I'm on Southwest, I suppose. <laughs> But, uh, but I think we've, we've, over the last 10 years, have really shifted into the select service market. So select service, I think everybody probably has a grasp of it, but Hilton Garden Inn, Courtyard by Marriott, Hyatt Place, those types of assets, a lot more efficient operating model. When you're going into this type of environment that we're going into, uh, or that we've been in even, I mean, margins become really, really important. In a full service hotel where you've got staff that's, uh, that, that's much larger, where you've got Bell, where you've got food service, where you've got all these other things, it becomes a lot less efficient to operate that hotel. And so that has been a key for us, is really growing that side of the business. But again, there are places where it's gonna make sense. Right now we're doing a, a coastal market development deal, full service hotel, um, and it's in, for us that's kind of one of the few markets where it's gonna make sense, because as John said earlier, that's where you're gonna get that Rev Park growth, a destination drive to or jet to leisure market where you're gonna actually see the type of Rev Pars that you need to justify development. So that's kind of where we're seeing some of the windows to that are a little work. Okay, great. What are you guys seeing on development? I'd, 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 look, I'd say the cap, like from, a, um, from the institutional world, there's very little appetite to do development today. Mm -hmm. Like equity uh, for development is um, predominantly in the select service space, and it's mostly private um, on the private side. Um, and then, you know, again, I think phenomenal firms with great reputations like Woodbanking so out and get construction financing. And so that market's probably actually much easier than the, than the equity market. But look, the, like, the development market, um, I, I think it's, it's more than just land basis. You have to, you really have to pick your spot and you have to know like accessibility, like how, what's traffic patterns, like how is somebody get, gonna get in and out of there and that, is that gonna be a pleasant experience? And then once they get there, you know, like what amenities are you offering? And so it's um, it properly planned, planned, properly developed, like they're absolute home runs. 
Um, but we, you know, we joke, it's like, how do you become a multimillionaire in hotel development? You start off a billionaire. Um, and right. it's like, um, you know, it, it's, but it, it's, so it's tough. It's not for the faint of heart. Uh, but the guys that do it well, um, I think they're really rising to the top. Yeah, I, I would just add, I mean, I, I agree with everything John and Dupree said. And kudos to you guys for the projects that you're getting off the ground. I mean, we, um, just in the hotel space, hotel mixed use, we probably have north of two and a half billion dollars worth of development deals that we're working on right now. And uh, they're all incredibly challenging. Uh, we've been selective in terms of the types of deals that we've taken on. Best assets, best markets, best sponsors. Um, and this was a thesis that I sort of took on, I don't know, a year ago. And uh, with, with that focus, and, and even then, it's been tough. And frankly, all of those campaigns that we took on nine months, a year ago, save one, uh, we're still working on. Um, a lot of them involve JV equity, uh, which is really tough right now. Um, the financing this, uh, is, is marginally easier, easier uh, but still incredibly tough. And again, these are some of the best sponsors, great assets and great markets, and um, it's just hard to get done uh, for a variety of reasons, one of which construction costs much higher. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, uh, if you look at where trades have gotten done relative to some of these development deals, uh, the cost to build is higher than where the highest price per key asset is traded. So lenders and investors are a little bit, uh, there's some sticker shock there. So um, I don't need to belabor the point, but it's, uh, it's really tough. One other data point I'd add, you know this, but it's, it's unbelievable some of the debt that these developers are taking on. Um, several of these debt funds are putting out quotes at oh, okay. 850, 900 over, yeah. and they're getting signed up. And so that advance rate is 65% on a construction deal at, what is that, 11, you know, 12% debt? That's unbelievable. Yeah. That's the best risk-adjusted part of the capital structure <laughs> to be in right now is, I mean, the debt side, if you can do, you know, MES debt again, 8, 9%, you're getting a low double-digit return all in, uh, 8, 9% on the spread, a low double-digit return all in, and you're, you know, in construction, you're taking you know, 65% risk, maybe 70% risk, and on existing assets, you're probably, you know, 75% risk. Uh, but again, for an all-in, low double-digit return, it makes a lot of sense. Hmm. And people are taking it. I, don't know. I know you're not. <laughs> not you. <laughs> Listeners, it's that time of year again. Applications for the 2023 Associate Leadership Council program open on November 1st. Mark your calendars now for November 1st. The Associate Leadership Council program, aka ALC, is Trek's premier 10-month leadership development program, offering participants monthly program days and lunches, personalized training with the executive coaching firm Rose Porterfield Group, and the opportunity to complete a community investment project. In this relatively short time frame, class members gain a wealth of education, networking opportunities, and experiences that have a profound impact on their careers for years to come. In January, we'll host two open house events where you can network with fellow applicants, ALC alums, and members of the ALC Steering Committee who will ultimately decide the 2023 class. But we are making a few changes this year, most notably that applicants must be between the ages of 30 and 40. Go to recouncil.com backslash ALC for more information. Now, back to the show. All right, well, as we all know, there's a war for talent going on, and hospitality has been particularly hard hit, um, even as the industry tries to emerge from the pandemic and is you know, doing good in that realm. But how is talent and hiring and um, uh, the job market, how is this impacting service at hotels? Dupree, you want to start? Sure, in a big way. I mean, there, there is, um, you had a, a I mean, you kind of a, the necessity of the pandemic, a, a sad necessity was you had to cut teams. I mean, a large, I mean, I, I think in our hotels, at one point there was probably 50 or 60% of the staff across our entire portfolio, probably a little bit more than that actually, that you had to completely say, you know, furlough or let go. And so I think a lot of folks in that industry said, well, this is not a sustainable model. Let's go find work elsewhere. Um, in a lot of cases, I'm not sure, I, I, we've tried to kind of figure that out. There's not a really clear uh, path or consistent uh, direction of where they went. I mean, a lot, there's different, play, Amazon, you know, insurance day one, DoorDash. Right, New York, DoorDash, I mean, who knows, there's, there's a bunch of different things where people went. 
And so it's been really hard to get people back in the industry, I think service industries in general. And then really you're kind of taking day wage folks where you're, you know, gig type hiring even on the hotel side. So you don't really have the ability to train like you normally would, really high turnover rates, all those types of things. And you don't have the same volume of customers. And so it makes it a lot harder for them if, if there is some type of tip component for them to supplement their income with those, you know, those types of wages. So by and large, you've seen a really ch a big challenge there for us to be able to provide the service we've historically provided. So that's where you've had to get much more creative. Uh, but from that, it has been a challenge hiring, and I think that's something that's going to persist for sure. All up and down the ranks of hospitality, it's not an easy business to work in for sure. I think too on on the on the investment side, even when you think about who we're hiring now, it has become much more competitive, even in, across the real commercial real estate sec, uh, sectors, to where bringing folks in, even on the investment side, has been mm -hmm. been harder. So it's not just at the hotel level; it's really up mm -hmm. and down the board for us. No, but I think that, that I think that that's uh, probably my. Um, biggest concern for the hotel industry going forward is the staffing. It, it's, it's been unbelievably hard for people to get um, cooks, wait staff, housekeepers. Um, you know, I was, we were just at this lodging conference. I was staying, um, and they didn't do overnight service. They didn't, they didn't, they, they did it um, on checkout, uh, right? They would clean your room on checkout because they didn't have enough housekeepers to clean every room every night unless you specifically requested it. And so that's indicative of, you know, you're used to coming back to your hotel room and having a freshly made bed and it's, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't done. And that's, you just have to get used to it and accept it. The other thing I would say is um, it's gonna start affecting the margin. We did benefit from less staff, less overhead. And now as they start to try to hire people back, they're having to pay um, a ton more. So a housekeeper used to make 12 bucks, 13 bucks an hour. They're now offering in Austin as an example, um, um, we're working on the line hotel. They're offering $21 an hour, and they still have one or two open positions. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's like, where did these people go? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know what they're doing. Nothing else to add. Yeah. Um, well, since you um, all just returned from the conference, I'd love to hear, I'm sure we would all love to hear, like, was there anything that was especially surprising or interesting? Uh, what did you, what kinds of uh, learning stand out from uh, the gathering? You know, I'll just, I'll lead off quickly. I think uh, I was surprised at how, maybe there's kind of the Texas, uh, you know, kind of bubble that, that I've been in, but, but seeing and talking to a lot of the national groups, especially those that are invested in other asset classes and having conversations with them, I have been surprised at, at how um, anxious people are about what is coming. Uh, uh, I was talking to the Wells Fargo's guy, Wells Fargo guys who, um, have said that the loan that we did in uh, that uh, in San Antonio is literally the last loan that they've done in in 2022, and there's been a there is a lemming approach with lenders where they'll say, hey, if they're stopping, we're stopping, and so you've seen this really huge, you know, kind of wave of of ceasing activity on the lending space, um, at least in hospitality, and so I think I think there is a there's a, this thought that we are in for a a crash landing here. I think generally the prevailing thought that I heard was it may be it may be mild and it may not be that deep, may not be that long, but we might be in for a crash landing here pretty quick. Now I'm not I'm usually the optimist of the group, but uh, but after hearing enough opinions from folks who again have have other investments who they're saying, hey, we're giving concessions on apartments in Boston, in Miami. And those are things that Texas just hasn't seen yet. Mm -hmm. And so I think from that perspective, it, it, uh, I'm, I'm started to make me a little more, you know, nervous about what's coming for sure. Yeah, it is um, easy to stay in the Texas bubble mm -hmm. for sure, which yeah. I think actually is an asset for us. It helps with our, for sure. our optimism. It does. What about you? Yeah, I, I think we're going to feel our way through this. I mean, I, I didn't walk away from the conference with any consensus. I, I think some people are reasonably optimistic, some people are bearish, a lot of people are wait and see. Mm -hmm. um, someone made the point earlier, I think it was John, uh, which is really valid. I mean, look, we didn't go through a recession in hospitality, we just came through a depression, yeah. okay? Mm -hmm. And we're on our way back. So what I would argue is that there's a decent chance the, econ the economy will slow. I don't think there's any debating about that. But look, there's a decent chance that maybe the ramp back up for us 
isn't as strong as it would have been otherwise, and maybe it gets protracted, but I don't know that we necessarily take a lot of steps backward. Um, and if we do, it certainly won't be to the same degree that we did before. So I think there's a resilience within hospitality. I think overall people feel okay, but they're, they're concerned, obviously. Um, there, there's also been an increased uh, discussion about distress. Now what's fascinating, when COVID hit, everybody was, accept, was expecting a tremendous amount of distress. It never came. And so now, as we face this higher rate environment, people are like, yeah, maybe there'll be some distress, but I don't hear as many people talking about it. And in fact, right now though, I think it's gonna be far worse and there's far more reason for us to believe that there will be distress. Primary reason being before we had the Fed pumping an additional $4 trillion of liquidity into the economy post COVID, Congress adding a couple billion with fiscal policy. Now the Fed's going in the complete opposite direction. Yeah. So if ever there was a time to think about distress, it really is now. And again, I mean, we're talking about seven, eight, 9% rates for good assets, institutional assets. That's where people will have to borrow. Mm -hmm. And so for some hotel owners that have loans that are coming due and they're paying, you know, they may have gotten it done at L300 and they were paying, you know, three, 310, three and a quarter, uh, but they're looking at a refinancing at you know, so for 500, 600 over. So potentially double digit cost of capital. And for those that don't have the wherewithal to, to refinance at full proceeds, they'll have to recap, they'll have to bring, bring in preferred equity, rescue equity, and or sell the asset. So I think that's gonna trigger a lot of activity. So look, it's, um, again, I think sentiment's kinda all over, the, all over the board. I'd say cautious optimistic on the operating performance perspective, but it's going to be a lot of interesting things that take place over the next 12 months as we readjust to the new environment. Um, I, I walked away quite a bit more positive. Um, I mean, just even by the attendance, by, like the lodging conference is a secondary uh, in, in Phoenix is kind of a secondary conference to New York and LA. And the attendance was, I think, an all time record high. And um, I think that's because people, again, that that added interest and, and people trying to get into the space. Um, uh, I love your analogy about do you want me looking back or looking forward because I think most of the people I talked to were looking forward and yes, deals are tough and, and they're, they're tough to get done today. Deals are, some deals are falling apart, but for the most part, everybody's looking ahead and they're trying to figure out how can I get a deal done and what is my, what's my cost of capital and, and what's my pro, pro forma going to look like and I, I still want to invest. It's a, it's a place I want to uh, be in. So there wasn't, you know, I would say, you know, private equity, institutional private equity has definitely gone negative and so when Barry Stern looks on CNBC and saying we're going into recession. Like, if Barry's negative, Starwood Capital is probably not doing a deal anytime soon. And so you got to look somewhere else. Um, um, the REITs are, their balance sheets are pristine. They've got more cash on their balance sheets than they've ever had. Like, they're, they're ready to play offense. That's got to be priced right, but they're ready to play offense. And so I, I still think there's going to be a transaction market, um, but, but, it, but it comes down to pricing. All right, before we get to audience Q&A, um, another question on everyone's mind is business travel. We've seen revenge travel, we've seen a lot of leisure and leisure, uh, as we spoke about, but what about business travel? What are you guys seeing, what do you expect? I heard a new term the other day that I like, instead of leisure, they're calling, uh, somebody called it mullet travel, which I think is great. They're saying business in the front, party in the back, which I think is, that's, a, that's great. I'm like, I'm, I'm great with yeah, mullet yeah. travel. We are seeing it, yeah. I mean. That's going in my next pitch. You, yep. That's right. There Make sure that's there. I think it's. I've brought a lot of institutional terms to this panel. Yeah, there you go. Um, so, but but it is. I mean, it's it's traveling midweek that then extends into the weekend. I think that's important for us. We're seeing places that didn't usually have that didn't have leisure historically. Now we have some of that. So I, I think that I don't think that stops. I think that's going to continue. I mean, if you look at like the percentage, the, the income of travelers, sixty percent of travelers in hotels. Have, an, have a median income of above 100,000. 40% has have an income above 150,000. So when you kind of think about the recession that we could be going into, that, that's where I think we have a pretty good hedge. I think there's some protection there in our occupancy because of that. Hmm. So I, I, don't, I think on the group and, and uh, side, I also think that's, that's a segment where historically you would say that's the first to go. But I think the way people work now, remote, I think that changes the way people meet. Now, now conferences and the, even these smaller gatherings become much, much more important. So I think there's actually a case to be made that group is actually a little more resilient than it may have been 
in the past because of what's happening and because of how those dynamics have changed about how people work. Interesting. Yeah, I, um, you know, it's interesting. If you talk to the experts, they'll tell you, well, business BTs could be off five to 10% longer term. Um, and maybe as historically categorized, uh, but I, I think that historic categorization is no longer accurate uh, for the reasons that Dupree mentioned. Uh, and I've been saying this a long time. Look, COVID, the emergence of hybrid work, remote work, has really been a game changer. I don't know that we fully appreciate what the implications are gonna be longer term, but look, people have more flexibility. And with more flexibility, that facilitates mobility and greater mobility is good for travel. So if you ask me net, 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 what I think the implications are is more people are gonna be traveling. I can't tell you if it's leisure transient or BT or group, there are gonna be more people staying in hotels. Um, but I think with the sort of mullet travel dynamic, it's true, look, people wanna, they'll go, they'll go to a market, they'll stay for a couple days, do business, and then hang over the weekend. Um, and if you look at the average length of stay, um, it's increased by a day uh, post-COVID compared to 2019. Uh, it seems that um, uh, Wednesday occupancy has gone up, uh, Sunday occupancy has gone up, so people are checking in. Clearly, they're staying longer, mm -hmm. uh, so that's a good thing. I think that also harbors good things for the extended stay space, um, which has been incredibly strong uh, post-COVID. There have been a number of extended stay deals that have gotten done, large portfolio deals, and I think that will continue. Uh, I think there's just gonna be this blending of, of work and travel uh, that will continue, and again, net net, I think it's a positive for our industry. Yeah, I, ho I just I, I hope that there isn't this massive slowdown or kind of backtracking on the progress we've made. Um, um, you know, with the with the kind of more macro outlook next uh, next year. But um, I mean, when you look in Austin, Texas, when you look in like Dallas after Labor Day, it has been gangbusters. Go try to get a room anywhere in Plano and Frisco on a Tuesday, Wednesday night. You can't. Business travel is already back there. Wow. Group is back. Austin, Texas, same thing. You can't get a room. If you are, you're paying seven, eight hundred thousand bucks a night. Um, you know the hotels. We're, we're working on a couple projects. One in Austin, and, and every time I've been down there for property tours, all the meeting space is booked. And it's tech companies, financial services companies, it's some social organizations, and then and then they're they're backfilling with this leisure traveler who's extending their stay, and then the business traveler who has to come there for a, you know, either for sales calls or whatever he's going down, he or she's going down there for. So we, we, we've got a lot of, um, 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 you know, occupancy growth right now. And, the, and, and actually there's another point I think that we, that we, shouldn't, we shouldn't gloss over. We learned in, the, in, in, in COVID, like don't, like if somebody's not gonna show up, don't sacrifice rate. And so I don't expect our rates to backtrack. Right? So I agree. That's gonna be like important. the rate we need, we need to maintain our rate integrity because if they're not gonna if they're not gonna stay in your hotel for a hundred dollars or you know it doesn't or for two hundred dollars it doesn't make sense to cut it down to a hundred. So I'm still optimistic we're gonna keep the occupancy. Hopefully we'll maintain our rate, and then and then we'll deal with the interest rate issue. Margaret. Okay, great. All right, we have a couple of minutes for questions. Kim, Mike. Sure, so the question was about the convention center. Um, I'll, I'll do like shameless plug. Everybody go to vote yes for Prop A. Endorse it today. Endorse it for your company, for your mother, for your cousin, stepbrother, anybody you can. I mean, I, there's, a, there's a long list of supporters for that. I, I'm passionate about Cotton Bowl, and I'm passionate about uh, Fair Park in general. We all should be. It's the greatest collection of, of mid-century art, um, you know, art deco art in the country. Uh, and this is a much needed improvement for that. So it's 300 million that would that would go to Cotton Bowl, um, to the Coliseum, to the Band Shell, to places that we actually use. So that's that's critical. I also think that does a lot for South Dallas. I think there's a real legitimate case to be made that as Fair Park goes, so will South Dallas go. Uh, secondly, is the convention center. I mean, most of us have probably traveled to Nashville. Most of us have probably even been to San Antonio after they did their convention center a couple years ago, or a little bit more than that. Th there has been a night and day effect on those cities. And I'm not necessarily comparing Dallas to Nashville because they clearly have a lot of mojo with the music scene and everything else. But there is a, there is a, there's a statistic-driven case to be made that we, if we improve that convention center, we spend a billion five on it, that it will change the course of downtown. And so I'm, I'm a passionate believer 
And as a hotel owner who's saying, okay, I'm going to subject my guests to a 2% increase. Nobody here in this room has to pay a dime. But for my guests to come and stay in my hotel, pay 2% more on their bill and see another tax line on that, for the hotel community to say we are 100% for it, that's a big statement, and I think that, that's something that says, look, if the hotel community's for it, then that's something we all ought to be able to get behind. So I am pleading to say go endorse it on that website, talk about it, um, tell people to do it. It's an easy one. It's a hard vote in November at the very end of the ballot. That's a challenging place to be in. But for what that means for Dallas and what I think that does for downtown, what that does to connect us in a way that historically has been really challenging, uh, I think it's I think it's literally a game changer for us. So I am I am very passionate about it. I'm glad you asked about it. But but uh, I probably said enough. No, I'll, I'll, and I'll just jump into we it, we have to get it done. Um, all the great things Dallas has going for it. Our our um, convention center is an embarrassment, and we're never going to be competitive with markets like Orlando and Nashville. Um, even I mean even San Antonio is probably kicking our butt right now because of their new convention center. So we've got to get it done. It's not going to cost taxpayers. Um, and it's going to be a game changer for the next phase of our of our you know kind of economic growth uh, cycle. All right, Kim, did you have a question? I did, but I think we need to interrupt. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. All right. Can you please join me in thanking our exceptional panel? I hope you all enjoyed it. Thank you guys so much. Hey. Thank you, everyone. I really wanted to thank Track and Real Estate Council for putting together such an insightful sessions for us. Also, thank you to all the panelists. Um, I'll tell you my, I know we're a little over the time, but my recent visit to hotel was last week at, I was talking to somebody before the, con before the session at the Choctaw Casino, and it was fantastic to see their new tower, but at the same time, it was so nice to see number of people who were there not for the conference, just the hotel guests. So it really felt like we were a little bit coming back to kind of what we were pre-COVID. So um, again, I'm Rena Parikh, partner at Grant Thornton, uh, and we are so proud to continue to sponsor these programs. Uh, just a little bit on Grant Thornton. Uh, we are a global firm uh, providing tax advisory and audit services, um, and we have a dedicated professional team standing by to help support dynamic organization uh, as they are growing, and so definitely do make us part of your growth journey. So uh, once again, uh, thank you for giving us a few minutes to talk, and I'll hand over to Linda to make some closing remarks. Well, thanks, panelists. This was a great program. Um, I, re I stayed in a hotel earlier this week, and uh, the service issue is a real problem, but uh, I do see it it's not affecting people wanting to go to hotels. So um, we really appreciate this and a big fan of hotels. Um, I really thank all of our attendees today. Thank you for being here. Thanks to Grant Thornton and DCEO. And Christine, we can't do a program without you because you're the best in moderating all these great conversations. <laughs> Just a couple of uh, quick notes. Uh, it is North Texas Giving Day. And so we're giving you a gift. And you can give back to us if you'd like, but we are giving you uh, your valet complimentary today, so just want you to know that. But make sure you take a snapshot of the QR code on your table and help us do the work that we do in the community uh, by supporting Trek Community Investors, so I appreciate that. We have a great fall lined up. If you're a member of our political action committee, and you have to join to be part of that, we're going to have a... Great conversation moderated by Todd Williams with the new superintendent of DISD. Uh, and George and Lindsay Billingsley have graciously opened their home uh, to us for that event in a few weeks. So stay tuned for the announcement. We'd love to have you there so you can learn what's happening in our school district. But you have to be a member of the political action committee. So you have to go online and join. And then we will wrap up the year with a great capital markets update by Mark Gibson from JLL. And we can't wait for that. Uh, I'm sure by November we'll be talk we'll have a lot of things to talk about, given uh, yesterday's announcement with the Fed. Thanks again for attending. We look forward to seeing you soon, and hopefully we'll see you next Thursday night at Fight Night. Great. That's all for today's show. I'd like to thank Christine Perez of DCEO for moderating our hospitality panel, and thank our panelists for their time and invaluable insights. 
John Beret of East Still Secured, Kevin Davis of JLL Hotels and Hospitality Americas, and Dupree Scoville of Woodbine Development Corporation. Special thanks as well to Grant Thornton and DCEO for their sponsorship and support of Market Matters. Before we sign off, make sure you're subscribed to the show on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on social media. Remember that early voting in the 2022 elections is now open, and to vote yes for Prop A and the plan to redevelop Fair Park and the K. Bailey Hutchinson Convention Center. Be sure to mark your calendars for the return of ALC application season on November 1st, and to get your tickets for our November 9th Bank of Texas Speaker Series event with JLL's Mark Gibson. We've linked to everything for you in the show notes. Until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.